What up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 44 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Go grab yourself some body armor. Combo Nation, we are out here. Today's show, Coach Nick from B-Ball Breakdown joins in. Go subscribe to Coach Nick's YouTube channel, B-Ball Breakdown. Um, great basketball content. He has over half a million subscribers. Go check that out. And we had a great basketball conversation, man. I learned a lot. I think you will as well. Go follow Coach Nick on Twitter and Instagram at B-Ball Breakdown. We have a new website, 1-2-Combo.com. You can go listen to the podcast. You can learn more about me. Grab some combo socks. All kinds of cool stuff. Go check it out. You know you can follow me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Don't forget to rate Review, subscribe, write on your Apple Podcast app. Shouts to the Spotify community. We see you. Let's get into it. Welcome to Combo's Court. Thank you. I love the vids, man. You obviously have great knowledge of the game. Where did you learn the game and where have you coached? Well, I, you know, was a coach in my old high school, and uh, that's where I originally cut my teeth. Actually, I went to, after college, I coached in my old grammar school as well. But even before that, I was a basketball manager at the University of Wisconsin. So, you know, Stu Jackson was my boss, and Sam Van Gundy was an assistant, and Sean Miller was an assistant. So uh, Ray McCallum Sr. was an assistant. So I got a chance to just sort of just observe and watch and learn from those guys about coaching and, and the fundamentals. And then from there, I started coaching into high school as an assistant for a long time or for a while. And then I was a head coach for a while. So, uh, you know, I've gotten I got, you know, able to apply all that knowledge I learned in the real world at the high school level. And then I've, you know, appeared at different, different clinics and worked with some pros and that kind of stuff throughout the rest of my career. So kind of, you know, touched upon a lot of levels. You learned from a lot of great minds. Um, what was your reasoning for starting B-Ball Breakdown? And did you ever think it would grow to half a million subscribers? <laughs> so it's even more than that but <laughs> so uh at any rate uh, i mean we're gonna be at six pretty soon so nonetheless uh, i started it i think uh was when the celtics and bulls in 2009 had this epic first round seven game series and i was watching it thinking to myself gosh there's a lot of really bad basketball being played a lot of it on the on the bull side and uh i think ray allen must have averaged like 40 points a game it was insane the way they were guarding it was so bad and no one was sort of uh, acknowledging that and everyone was just sort of enjoying the the epic nature of it which was it was you know undeniable that it was dramatic but it was certainly we were missing a lot of that so that sort of spurred me to think about creating something that could help shine light on really what's going on in the court that kind of fl flies in the face of what the the mainstream media narrative was at the time right and you know in today's climate, so much is focused on what's going on off the court. And, and I like that your videos are really about the game, the game itself. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because so much of what gets a lot of views are that all the off the court stuff, too. Right. And so and I'm, I'm constantly in a battle of, OK, well, how can I sort of, you know, ride the middle here where I can kind of touch upon those things, but also get the X's and O's. And when you find the right balance, it's nice because you can capture a lot of the audience of fans who might not necessarily be that interested in X's and O's, but you can kind of slowly bring them in. And then all of a sudden they get into it. And now they're like, Oh, I recognize that. And I know that now, and I play better on pickup because of that. And so that's really kind of gratifying when you see a lot of the comments like that. And uh, I think that the discourse 
uh, of of NBA fans over the last several years has really you know improved as far as knowledge goes, deep rooted knowledge. That is true. Even the kid, you know, even when I'm talking to like a younger player, like they know a lot about the game, and sometimes I'm surprised by how much they know. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and even if it's like sets like horns or ice right. defense, the things that we hammer on all the time, you know, it's sort of like uh, it's it's gratifying to see that like people are really there's a, there's a big thirst for that, and clearly before well before people breakdown came on the scene, you know, there just wasn't a lot of outlets that for that information. Right, you definitely built a great channel with with your niche. Um, one of my favorite videos, it actually gets me hyped. Like I'm retired now, but I still play um, often. It really this video really got me wanting to get on the court, man. The Luka Doncic. Porzingis video. Um, all my f- fans and followers know that I've been praising Luca way before the draft. Um, they hear about it every episode almost. They're probably sick of me talking about Luca. But um, you know, you said that Luca and Porzingis could quite possibly be the most ex- exciting duo ever. That's a bold statement. Can you speak to that? Sure. Well, I mean, here's the thing: we haven't ever really had um, a, a point guard center duo at that size. Right. So if you look at the best combos we've had and, you know, and I, I haven't, I didn't, I need to stop short and I can't say they're going to be the best of all time just because there's a lot of great duos. That is but what you talking, said in the video, Nick. <laughs> did I say best or I'm excited? I don't you know. Said, you, said, you said they could be the most, uh, the best duo ever. Okay. Well, conceivably, I mean, conceivably was the word you used. Right. And then here's <laughs> the thing, because if we're talking about like, you know, Stockton Malone, you're talking about a power forward and a point guard and a point guard who is probably, you know, maybe six one. And then Carmelo was, was huge. But, you know, I, I can't really think of uh, that much of an electric combo that had a center. So you talk about a guy who's 7'3", and then a point guard who's like 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, so it just gives them a natural advantage over a lot of the people who have to guard them. And when you have a guy who's 7'3", like Porzingis, is, and who can shoot the ball, all of a sudden, you know, we're, we used to see Nash and Nowitzki do it. And right. uh, before Nash became, you know, crazy Nash. And that was exciting. But, and and Nowitzki could also space in the three-point line and really stretch the floor. But this is a whole other level. And then what it got me excited was you could actually put Luca in the weak side corner and let Don- Doncic, you know, fire those great passes to him. Right. There. He's probably and, one of the best in the game at, at that pass. Him and LeBron are two of the best that I, I see. For sure. And yeah. so what, what's so nice about that is that who is guarding Porzingis? The center. So you're talking about right. a center who can't be anywhere in the lane when that pick and roll happens, because if he is, he'll never get anywhere near uh, poor, uh, Porzingis for that shot in the corner when the pass comes. So that's a, a lot of space to open up for um, Doncic. Gravity, now, gravity, not, as you like to call it. Yes, the gravity of, yeah. of, of Porzingis. So right. and that's not even necessarily them being the duo in the pick and roll, but I just think it's going to open up everything for them. And also, I mean, I, I kind of ignore the role part of it, but I mean, Porzingis is one of the best rollers. You can throw it up there. He's not like uh, jumping out of the gym, but he doesn't have to because right. he's already halfway to the, to the basket with his height. So, um, and he's probably sneaky good athletic. So I'd even say that. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a lot of opportunities here for that. Now, in theory, we could actually see a little bit of the other way around where Porzingis might even get a ball screen from Luca. We haven't seen too much of that, but I think that he's got it in his skill set, and that would just turn the league upside down. I agree 100%. I wanted to move over to the Thunder, man. PG-13, what, what do you feel like his case is for MVP? Well, I did a video on that, and right. I certainly – you know, there, there's nothing that triggers Russell Westbrook fans more than praising somebody else on the team. So, wait, before, <laughs> before you get into it, who's the better basketball player? Because I definitely have my opinion on this. Um, uh, between Paul George and Russell Westbrook? Exactly. I say, I, I'll tell you, I say yeah. PG-13. I want to okay. hear what you have to say. 
Now, right, and I, I can almost say, like, well, Russ is a better athlete, but I'm not even right. sure that's the case because, boy, is Paul, Paul George an athlete, like, just long, and he can jump, and he's quick. So that's tough. Now, who's a better basketball player? I mean, listen, Paul George is a better basketball player, I think. Now, it, w- here's what triggers the, the Russell Westbrook fans. And I'm just going to sort of give you my, my generic take on Russ and sort of what my problem is with him is that – so he's a point guard who doesn't – who's finishing – who finishes at the rim at, at an average rate pretty much for his whole career. He's been run, right around 50th percentile. A little bit better this year, but he's even on the way down back to regression to the mean. He was higher in the 80th early in the season. He's down to 68th now, and it's probably going to get back down to 50 where it normally is. So he, he doesn't necessarily finish – like Steph, he doesn't finish like Harden at the rim. He doesn't have a floater. He is horrible from the three-point line. So it's like, okay, what do you have? You got a guy that can kind of shoot mid-range shots and he can make get a lot of assists. So it's like, okay, and then he and he could chase and he could chase down rebounds without closing out to get the triple double, <laughs> <laughs> right? And and his, and, his, and, his, and his teammates will clear out the way for him to get extra rebounds. We know that as well. So in reality, he's probably the most talented athlete and he can do things that nobody else can do on the court but as a basketball player there's so much to be desired and, it, and you know i've kind of given up on even i, I haven't tweeted much about russ because like it's really hard to take the hate on twitter but <laughs> he, he, if you saw the play against the celtics where you know Kyrie jumped out of him they're down two with uh you know plenty of time to get one last shot he comes to the down too fast Kyrie knocks the ball away they don't get a shot and i finally just shared that clip it was like with a big lmfao because uh, you know, I, I just I hadn't spoken about Russ hardly all season, but it just kind of came out. And, um, you know, it didn't get ratioed. A lot of people definitely liked it and retweeted it versus how many people responded. So I, I know that there's enough people who see what I'm seeing. But with Paul George, get back to your, your, your question. It's like he does everything. And he's right. an elite, elite uh, defender in my mind when he really and he will be in the playoffs for sure. Uh, he facilitates well. He shoots well. He can handle the ball. He is so tough. And, you know, it's like the Russell Westbrook fans will say, well, Russ is allowing him to do that. He's almost like a souped-up version of a 3 and D guy. He's like a super 3 and D guy. Yes. And yeah. then, which also really quickly brings me to this point I had at lunch today where it's like Paul George is the guy that should be drafted number one in the draft every year. And yet we're still drafting Aiton and Bagley. And I, I don't, don't you think understand. that was just the storyline of last year's draft? Do you think that's every draft? Well, I, I go back and look at it. It always seems to be like the, t- the talented big man who's out there. You right, know, right, right. Right. I, yeah. I, I'll, if I have a chance, I'll look. But you know what I mean? It, it, it's never like Doncic should have been obviously the first. I, I was telling player. everybody and people were looking at me like I was crazy, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I would have thought uh, Bridges uh, right. on the Suns. You know, here's a guy who's like he's already a really good defender for a rookie. He can shoot threes. He, so he's the kind of guy that can guard Durant. And maybe you can develop him into even even more of a lethal scorer. But like I don't know, that's the kind of body I'd be looking for. I want the six eight, six nine guy that can shoot threes and play some defense. Definitely. And you know, not worry about the agents, whoever who break down and they don't space the floor. And it's like it's weird to me. And I imagine in the next several years, the draft order and focus will change. So, so who's your MVP so far? Oh, uh, Harden is the MVP. And okay. I he should win it. Now, I just I did a tweet really quickly on a, on, a, on a stat. He leads the league in points per game on drives. Harden? Yes. Okay. On points per game on pull-ups and free throws made per game. He's like, he doesn't matter where he is. He scores everywhere across the floor. And all those pull-ups are threes, by the way. So it's like. Well, he, there's, no, well there's no way he leads the league in, in uh, mid-range. Well, it's pull-up shots. I, I didn't. I wanted okay. to pull up, I, and then, but I went back and looked at how many time, how many shots he's taking per game off the dribble for three. I think it's like twelve. I think right. almost every single every single three he takes is off the dribble. So, 
he's not taking any mid-range reds. So there you go. So it's it's pretty much all threes. Right, right. So it's like there's just nowhere. I mean, okay, great. Maybe he doesn't score in mid-range. Now I will tell you this without with certainty. If he did pull up in the mid-range, he'd be awesome at it. I just I, mean, I just know as a shooter, he's he true. Be able That's to true. Make yeah. So you know, and, and we see him do the. I've seen him do step backs every once in a while from mid-range. Right. And, and you know, those look great, and they go in. So. Either way, it's like there's just no way to stop this guy. He scores any way, anywhere, from anywhere. And I think he's kept him afloat with all the injuries. Uh, it seems hard to argue he wouldn't be the MVP. Right. Three's better than two, right, Nick? Three is better than two, <laughs> although I did another video on that explaining why, I don't know, 10, 15% of the threes taken in the NBA are just bad shots that need to be eliminated. And I suspect that as we get forward with more data, the Rockets and whoever are going to finally figure out that there's a sweet spot for that three-point uh, frequency. And I think they've gone overboard a little bit too much. And there, there's going to be a correction, I think, at some point. Um, as we see more teams like the Spurs take the fewest in terms of frequency, but also have the highest percentage. And they're going to realize that there's going to be that sweet spot somewhere in between where uh, the league will change a little bit. And I think I think that'll make it better. Definitely. Do you think Steph had a lot to do with it? Just the way he, um, just the way he plays the game? Because he's like a great bad shot taker. It's not even a bad shot anymore for him. But Right. Yeah. Well, I think the full impact of Steph is going to happen in the next several years as the all the 10-year-olds that had been watching him play from about four years ago right. are slowing in the league. Because remember, I don't know, like, how, when did you graduate college? 2005 right. was my last year of college. Yeah. Okay, so you probably had experience when you were growing up and playing uh, the freedom to drip, to pull up off, uh, off a dribble from three. Right, right. right. Yep. Yeah, so we, we didn't have that at all. And so now that we're starting to see it, it's permeated more and more and more in the 03, 04, and the 2010s or whatever, I suspect we're going to see more Steph Curry's in the league. I mean, Trey Young is sort of that guy, although it kind of almost feels like he's turned into a more tra- traditional CP3 kind of point guard guy uh, who's not going to shoot a ton, but he's going to set everybody up. So, But I think we're going to see more of the Dame Lillard's and more of the Steph Curry's. And at, but as a result, yeah, I, I think that's sort of the effect. But I also just think that, you know, these numbers guys and the analytics guys um, just sort of made this decision that it's three is better than two, like you said, but they had no sense of shot, shot quality. And they're slowly learning that, geez, there is something to that. Whereas, uh, you know, a three pointer on the right wing when you're up by four in the second quarter is not the same as a three pointer in the same spot when you're down by five with five minutes to go in the fourth. So, you know, Harden's your MVP, but here's my thing from a team perspective, and I wanted to see if you agree with me here. Um, When one player is in ISO mode, I think it's hard in a series for the whole team to be in a rhythm or a flow. Is that fair? Yes. That's another great question because, yeah, you're standing around. You don't get to touch the ball that much. I mean, I I have interviewed Steve Kerr before, and one of his reasons why he doesn't run pick and roll that much is because when you do that, you're going to have three guys having to stand around for the whole possession. And and they don't get that rhythm. And and certainly he would know that well because he was that guy who would play 20 minutes and, you know, he didn't touch the ball all the time. It was really hard to shoot that way. So without question – um, you know, there, there's a benefit to that as far as rhythm for the shooting aspect of it and also just the confidence and the, the offensive flow. But I think we know that um, players will play harder on defense when they touch the ball. A hundred percent. You yeah, know what I mean? A hundred percent. And so that's one thing. You know, listen, the, the Rockets defense isn't great. And I don't know if you can attribute it all to the fact that they're, they're kind of bored standing around watching. Right. Harden. Even, an, but, um, even an ultimate team guy, if he's not getting the ball, you just kind of feel out the rhythm of the game. 
Yeah. Well, what the Rockets, I think, did was they distilled the, the essence of what they want, you know, and eliminated everything else. So it's like if we want shots from the three, we're not going to make five passes and run a pick and roll and commit, you know, trying to do a kick out from there because there's a chance for the turnover or, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. So they're like, we're just going to simply make execute one action, like and let James Harden create that. And then either he gets the three or the three. And I, it's a robotic, you know, it's not jazz. It's very much scales on the piano. And that's another thing that's not aesthetically pleasing. I think a lot of coaches don't like it. But I will say this. When I watch Harden specifically, and only Harden, do those ISOs, it's like watching a boxer, a boxing match, right? And he's right. setting him up, and you're mesmerized. So from my point of view, for some reason – I don't respond as negatively as a lot of other people do to the ISO nature of it. Now, the other negative part is him drawing the fouls, which is another conversation. But as far as when he does those combos and he's, you know, faking and moving, it's, it reminds me of like Ali, you know, out there playing, you know, hitting a, a boxing against Foreman. And those are mesmerizing bouts where you're like, wow, how is he going to get this done? So there's something to that that I like. But, and he's also so supremely skilled when he makes those shots that it's like, you got to sort of just throw up your hands and, and applaud. Speaking of like one-on-one matchups and ISO ball, you know, you had a great video on nineties basketball back then. There was no zone defense. There was a lot of one-on-one matchups. Um, it was a lot more physical. Do you think there's something missing in today's NBA? Well, it's funny. Cause I was, you know, I played, I was pretty physical. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so, you know, you knew you, I, I guarded you when you were coach. Talking, Nick was so. a bruiser. All right. Uh, a little bit, a little bit, you know. Um, and so, but but then again, you know, I used to try and coach my teams defensively. Where if you if you move in the direction of the ball and you play the right way on the weak side, you don't actually have to make much contact. So I'm sure you remember those those drills where a guy would cut across the lane and you'd be guarding him and you had to put a body on right, him, right, right, forearm, forearm, you. yeah, right, forearm, and Lo- locate him almost, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's like I, I taught my guys how to do it where they didn't have to do that. And they, can, they just force them to cut away and out of there. No way to get the ball. And, you know, you, you don't foul anybody and they don't get good shots. And then, you know, you win these games that way. So um, so I'm not that much in the favor of, of the physical nature of it, I suppose, because, you know, it leads to fights. And yeah. That stuff. But there, there, you know, there is a bit of competitiveness that's sort of missing because they're all friends now for the most part. Um, although there, there actually seems to be some sort of a faction sort of slowly forming, but because they're all sort of across teams that, you know, it's hard to sort of say an entire team hates the other entire team. Cause they're going to have at least two or three guys who are best friends with the other two or three guys, in the other team. So that is certainly missing that rivalry. We don't have a rivalry. We don't need intensity. I don't think that we used to. And I mean, I, I grew up in Chicago stadium watching the bulls and they go on a run you know, they go on a, you know, 9-0 run uh, uh, capitalized by a three-pointer, which was still rare. And then right. when, they, when the other team had to call a timeout and we got out of our seats to cheer, like that was pretty intense compared to what I feel now when I go to stadiums that don't have that same intensity. And also the games go on such crazy runs now because of the three-pointer for both teams right. that it's almost like the run itself isn't even novel anymore and it's expected and it doesn't have that same weight. So there's no question that that's different for sure. Yeah, I, I agree, man. I, I like the current style of NBA um, where everybody's where everybody could pass, dribble, shoot, spread out, positionless basketball. And the team that embodies that the most is the Warriors. Um, man, DeMarcus Cousins, man, his return. Is it over for the league, man? Should we just give him the championship? How do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're not going to lose, barring a catastrophic injury or two. Uh, and the thing I find about DeMarcus is just most interesting to me is that I think his best value for them is his screening. 
Like he sets crazy good screens. Probably half of them are illegal, but because he's an all-star, they're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And when you let a guy like that do that, then it's like, then it's really unfair. And his offensive rebounding, the guy is a bull. And in, in, so the key here is even if like a Kevon Looney wanted to try and be that aggressive, he's not going to score on putbacks like Boogie can. And that is a real weapon that they have now that they didn't have before. So, though, and, and I haven't even talked about Boogie's shooting or his passing. And that's, so that's why it's such a big advantage for them. He looks good. Now, I'm a little bit worried about the way he looks and why he's moving. He's, he cannot elevate on the left leg at all. It's still early, and Nick. It's still early. It is, yeah. but he's out there playing, you know, 25 minutes or whatever that is. And the right leg is overworking. And, that, you know, you have to be a little bit concerned and i hope that they're rehabbing properly and he's taking it seriously so that they can strengthen and get that back because if you overload the right leg too much and you're a big guy like that it's the only cause for concern the way his body mechanics are right now so i hope they can get that under control before the playoffs another big guy who's been the talk of the nba anthony davis man at the time of this recording i think the lakers offered zubak lonzo kuzma um ingram Ingram, and somebody else right uh kcp maybe uh, uh, yeah, I, well, I don't even know if KCP is in it all, but what, all I know is that when you counted it all up and you got like, uh, Davis and, uh, back in return, they were still going to be four roster spots short. Oh my God. <laughs> and, like with heart with no forwards, they'll have four centers and no forwards. So it's like a recipe for disaster because they'll have a really top heavy lineup. And, uh, and by the way, it was also reported the Lakers pulled out, right? They, they didn't even – I mean, this is probably just gamesmanship. Yeah, they're waiting. They said um, they're waiting for a counteroffer or something to that effect. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, now, it, it, yeah, of course, the Lakers would be foolish not to try and get AD. They can't, they can't afford to waste any time of LeBron's what he has left because if they're going to wait a year and a half, then, you know, LeBron, uh, year 18, whatever he's going to be, is going to be a shell of himself. So uh, I see why the pressure is on them to get him now. Um, and you know what? It, it, it's like, it, is Ingram going to be that guy eventually? I don't know. I have doubts. I like Kuzma better. Um, well, I like Ingram, I like Ingram better as a potential go-to guy than Kuzma. But Kuzma, I could see your point. He fits the NBA real well. Like he could be like a third yeah. guy, right? Now. Like we yeah. know that, you know. But with Ingram, you know, it's funny. I, I was just on another podcast talking about how I think I should do a video comparing Ingram and uh, Tatum because they both seem to have the same issue with getting by guys off the dribble. And um, I just think, and part of it with Ingram is the way he trains. And you can see the, his, uh, the strength of his body and the legs is not there. So it's not like he has to bulk up and, and gain all his weight, but you can see it's not, he doesn't know how to use ground reaction force as well enough and split and explode off the ground. I think Mello Mello later in, that, in his career had this problem as well. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's because he just was, he got slow. Yeah. These guys, are, these guys are leaving a lot on the table because they have it. And Tatum's a good example. When I, and I got roasted on Twitter when I was pointing it out. I'm like, listen, he can't, he can't beat anybody up the dribble. And you'd see him get a step. And instead of using it, he would take a step back from 25 to 23 feet. And so and the argument from the Celtics fans are, oh, he, he's just choosing to do that. I'm like, listen, if he chooses to do it or he can't do it, it's the same to me. He's not getting by his man off the dribble. And he's taking these terrible shots as a result, even though and, and it's even more – terrible because he's intending to do that so um those guys need to kind of clean that all up i would like to see ingram improve his three-point shooting better he's got some a funky form which could very well mean he's not going to get much better than the percent but um i don't know i'm not sold on ingram right now i thought i was last year a little bit more i could see what you're talking about but after this year i really have some doubts even though it's still you know when you say that uh tatum could, you know could easily go by his man and he 
he goes for a step back. I see that in a lot of players these days. And I think part of that is just, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy who used to love to work on his game. Like I used to be in the gym all day, but you know, yeah. I feel, and this can't be the case with Tatum because he's a, an elite NBA player playing NBA games all the time. But I feel like a lot of players in this day and age are almost overtraining on the court and not playing the game enough and not working on their athleticism to where they should. It's like a lot of sk- It's almost like they're overdoing the skill development. Right. Well, it's, there's no variability, which means they're not, they're not live. Right. Live situations where they can do these moves. They're doing them against trainers who are half their size and have, won't ever really affect uh, their shots. And, and that's very, very true. But, you know, I'm sure they're worried about getting hurt and all this stuff. But um, if, without that and without the proper technique, now you don't need to have a big bruiser out there who's your size to guard you and, and be physical to, to, to achieve that. And it's just a question of how they choose to train in the summers. But I, I agree wholeheartedly that that is the biggest is probably the biggest obstacle that they have is that uh, they're not getting enough of, of uh, variability in their game. They're not they're not seeing enough live defense. And uh, that that affects the decision making. Speaking of Tatum, do you feel the, do you feel the Celtics have a chance this year? Like, what do you feel has been the issue with them? Oh, and, and by the way, let me throw this one thing out there because you might uh, uh, understand this as well as a former player. Um, I think that sometimes when you take a shot as difficult as those step backs are, it kind of takes the pressure off you because everybody knows how hard that shot is. So if you miss it, it's like, wow, that's, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a mental, uh, you, you really took it to psychology on that one, but it could be true. I don't, I I can't say that I ever did that, Nick, but, but that could could be a good point. I mean, you know, and it, it could be subconscious too, but it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, when you're taking shots like that, and Harden has mastered it, he's actually zended out. Whereas, yeah, well, know, that's just that's just a great I, shot for him. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. it is. All right, I, I I had to accept that because I was like, there's no way it's a great shot. I would let him have that every time. And guess what? If you do, he's going to make almost forty percent. He's going to make forty five percent of those setbacks. You know, and he he covers a lot of ground. The guys are all in his face anyway. And he's still getting it, which is why when Scotty said I might be behind him more to force him into the lane, like that actually might be the way to go, just because you, you know back in the day with Michael Jordan, they used to say, well, let him get his points and shut down everybody else, and that would work. I don't think that works with Harden. If you let Harden get 50, 55 points, I don't know if you're winning that game. I agree. I agree. Um, so, but now let's get back to the Celtics because you asked me the Celtics, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> I almost lost my train of thought. <laughs> I was so into that psychology. <laughs> yeah, the Celtics. <laughs> but okay. So what was the question? Yeah. What has been the problem, man? Like, you know, last year they got all the way to the finals without Kyrie. They added Kyrie, who I think is a top three point guard in the league, a phenomenal player. What do you feel has been the problem? And you know what's funny to me, Nick? You know, Brad Stevens is a great coach. I I don't like the prison of the moment type thing that last year he was the greatest coach in the world. And now people feel like Brad Stevens is the problem. That's just ridiculous, man. Brad Stevens is a great coach, but but I wanted to hear your take on everything. (laughs) I, I, I haven't heard. I guess I haven't heard anybody complaining about Brad, uh, Coach. Stevens. Well, no, I've I've heard uh, I've heard the the what I've heard about Brad is that he he's favoring Gordon, you know, with stuff, you know, that kind of thing. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's tough. Okay, so so here's what I've noticed. I, to me, when Kyrie is the alpha dog, you know, going at it, being aggressive as possible, that's when they're at their best, and it, he seems to figure that out to some degree. I mean, they're they're playing really well recently. I think they won you know nine in the last ten or whatever that is. And so, you know, when Kyrie's getting his 27, 28 points and his seven or eight assists, that's when they're at their best. But it's been really hard for them to achieve some sort of hierarchy uh, with the rest of the offense. And I think that Tatum has been a big issue with that as well, where he's having he's struggling uh, to adjust to that and grow. 
which is probably normal for a guy who's in his second year and, and you know, had, had some unexpected success and maybe was a little over his head last year and now he's returning to normal. Um, you know, they haven't gotten the same kind of – him and Jalen Brown were like a real – caused real problems last year when they played together because they'd have to put like a, a much smaller player on Jalen Brown and he, Brown can just yeah. use that guy. And they don't have that same – they're not playing together all the time because Brown was hurt and he's home off the bench now and then the Hayward thing. Hayward is a shell of himself, and that's probably to be expected for at least the rest of this year. Because right, it takes injury. time. Look, look at PG-13. So, it definitely takes some time. Yeah. Now, by the way, uh, yeah, PG-13, as far as I remember, uh, had a lot more moments of like, whoa, we thought he was back. And it seemed like his baseline was a little bit higher than Gordon's is okay. for this year. But yeah, you know I do, what I mean? I do. But, uh, but – but I do imagine that Hayward has to play better because he's. I know he's better than what he is now. He doesn't look. I mean, he. he, look he like I mean, he, he, his IQ is still there. I mean, he still looks fun to play with. But they don't pay a guy that much just to be fun <laughs> to play with. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's an issue, um, you know. And and I think they're talking about trading Kyrie. It's kind of hilarious, um, yeah. you know, to, to, all to get Anthony Davis, which doesn't make sense. So. Um, at any rate, so they're going to stay put anyway to talk about the trade stuff. They're not going to change anything because they think that they can compete, and they can. There's no question they can get to the conference finals uh, and compete there with no with no problem. And I'm sure that, that they'd be very happy with going to, you know, if they lost the six games in the conference finals, I'm sure they would take that as a win and, and go uh, ready for next summer and trying to, you know, maybe do another blockbuster deal or a trade. So I think they're on their way. I just think it was uh, expectations were all sort of, you know, uh, uh, straight, uh, off to start the year. And everyone's kind of settled back in. Right, man. We have the All-Star game coming up. Uh, do, you know, who do you feel is the greatest player to never make All-Star game? Oh, my goodness. I would, you, uh, I, I would say Rod Strickland, possibly. Ooh. Sabonis, because yeah. he, he, he was in the league late, you know? Yeah. I, although, I, in my mind, if you're going to judge it, you have to judge him how he played. That's true. That's true. I, which he was great, but he, he wasn't did. in his prime. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Rod Strickland, I mean, how, Michael Finley made an All-Star I think team, he did. Right? I think he did. Because, you know, I, at Wisconsin, he was there when I was there. And I saw him do stuff in practice that was like, it, as, as soon as he gets in the court four other pros, he was just going to be great. And I, I worry about him just being completely forgotten. And he's a guy that scored, I think, about 25 a game for eight or nine. And was an amazing, was amazing great. athlete who could fill it up as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there's a guy who's, more, like, forgotten, which is really sad. I might have to do a video on him or something. But, um but Rod Strickland, yeah, you know, I'm from I'm from Chicago. I, you know, DePaul was my team growing up. He was awesome. So if he never made it, that's definitely a guy to be up there. Um, geez, I mean, I, I can't even. Maybe I just sparked coming. a video idea for Coach Nick. <laughs> yeah, the, the top the top players who never made an All Star game. That, that's not a bad one for sure. Um, you have to help me with the other guys too, because I. <laughs> all right, well, uh, man, I could talk I I could talk basketball with you all day, but we always end the podcast with a real serious question. Well, not always, but today I wanted to. Um, what was a better movie, man? Air Bud or, or Ernest Plays Basketball? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. Listen, I'm a, I'm a cinephile. I moved to L.A. because I, I wrote screenplays, and, you know, so I, and I worked on a film. Is that where you live now? So, okay, yeah, cool. I live in L.A. Okay. And so, um, so you know, I, I got to be honest with you. Like, I don't think I've seen either of those movies. I might even watch a little bit of Ernest looking for, a, you know, a clip yeah. to go into a video. Ernest has, like, Ernest has like 89 back. movies, and one of them was a basketball movie. <laughs> Yeah, right. It looked pretty yeah. darn bad. I'll tell you that. Now, if you want to talk, like, like here's my hot take is like something like um, uh, Space Jam was like terrible. <laughs> was I terrible. feel like nobody wants to call but, it terrible because 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 MJ was in it. 
<laughs> yeah. And by the way, I, I should feel the same way because it was cute. There's some interesting parts, but like, oh my goodness. And I did a, a video on it. The, and that in the joke of the, the title was, remember at halftime, what he gives them this. Yeah. Special, yeah. Like, MJ secret them, stuff. Yeah. And that's just PEDs, right? He just gave them some, you know, some do you feel, speaking of that, do you feel like there was a steroid era in the nineties? Bill Simmons kind of talks about that sometimes. Oh, it's, it's now. It's, it's happening oh, right really? Now. I'm kidding. It's, it's probably as bad as it ever oh, wow. Uh, they once asked Derrick Rose, oh, you know, this is a while ago, probably in 2010. They asked Derrick Rose on a scale of 1 to 10 how bad PEDs are in the NBA. And he's like, oh, oh my God. So I have no doubt. Listen, all right. <laughs> do you want some real controversial stuff Let's on do this it. podcast? So, you know, how about 2014, LeBron loses to the uh, Spurs. And um, within about three weeks, there's, there's a picture of him on Instagram. And he looks like a war survivor. And he's like, yeah, I went off the car. <laughs> it's like. That's ridiculous. <laughs> the, the, the word on the street was, and this is so, um, whatever. Hey, we're, we're having a good time. I'm just going to acknowledge this is completely, uh, you know, a rumor and whatever. But here's the thing. Uh, the rumor was, was that, like, they were going to start testing for PEDs seriously. So he got off of them knowing that he better have clean whatever. And he looked, he, you, you know what I'm talking about. You might remember. I do, yeah. Really I remember that. Yeah. Right. So then what happens? What happens? They start the next year, and, and LeBron is terrible for the first, like, month and a half. He, he has no lift. He has no explosion. He can't finish. What does he do? Do you remember? He takes two weeks off. Where does he go? Do you remember? Was that the time he went with D-Wade? Or no, that was a different time. That was with Cleveland. Well, in the middle of the year, but it's sort of, he goes down to Miami. Right, right. Now, why does he go to Miami? Now, I know, I think this is, this is after he got back, right, from, uh, yeah, this is after he left Miami back to Cleveland, I think, the first year, but he goes to Miami. Well, isn't that where Balco and all that stuff was like located and happening? Like, I don't know. It seems like that's too weird and coincidental because he, he comes back two and a half weeks later and he's Superman again. He's elevating. He's quick. He's strong. So it's like, you, you can't tell me, you know, his head is huge. He lost his hair early. Like, you know, you can't tell me. I, I, I have a hard time believing he's not using that. Now, there's a lot of players like that. I mean, we saw Oladipo. Uh, transform in like two and a half weeks from having no definition in his body, and I, this is also Instagram, to all of a sudden he's ripped. He's got like a six pack and he's got. Can it, can it, can it be hard work, Nick? Can it just be hard work? In three weeks <laughs> or whatever it was, uh, four weeks, I, I get. And by the way, the, you know, I talked to trainers and they all, they've all said it's possible. If you do this and do this and whatever, I'm like, okay, maybe, I guess. And they're young, yeah. I get it. But like, then, you know, who, did he, who had he just played with? This was his first year in Indiana. He had just played with. Russ in OKC and has this incredible transformation of his game that next year. Well, you know, how does Russ come back from these major injuries without even missing hardly any time and uh, to his knees and like, you know, and never misses even a, a beat with the way he jumps and runs and, and whatever. It's like, I don't know, but I, I'm very suspicious about a lot of these players. And, you know, the answer probably doesn't have to be, you know, get them in trouble. It's just like probably legalize all this and let I them, let them die an early death, I guess, is what would happen if you use it enough. Yeah, yeah, just make it legal. Maybe that, maybe that is what we should do, you know? But Yeah, you know, I mean, we really shouldn't only because, like, you know, Walter Payton, my hero at the Bears growing up, you know, he didn't make it to, like, 50, I don't think. And I'm pretty well, sure that, a lot of that is it's just related getting banged to, in the head over and over again, right? Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe, but I also feel like his health failed, too, like, independent of the brain. Uh, and, and you know that they were shooting him up, and, you know, at halftime, so that he didn't miss a game. And you saw how hard he got hit. I don't know if you remember. He got hit 
every down when those really bad Bears teams for the first six or seven years of his career. So anyway, the point being that uh, we, we can't really let, allow that to happen and let that be regulated only, only because it just seems like it's pretty well documented. It's very dangerous and it will really harm your, your career later, your life later on. But the bottom line is I, I still think it's probably a, a big deal. Um, they know how to get around it. They test like, you know, in, in these ways that are easy to, to, to fool. So um, <laughs> watch the NBA is going to just shut me down now, but, at any rate, um, it, you, it, got it, your, it, you got your own, you got your own, you got your own following. Don't worry about it. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So anyway, so I, I do think the PEDs are a problem. And uh, as long if you, here's the thing, they're a problem if you feel like they should be banned and all that stuff. And if you don't feel like they're banned, then great. Then let them use them. And that's, it's not a big deal. I don't know where I feel. I just worry for these guys because being a guy who has a hip replacement, my other hips on the way down. And I didn't, I never did PEDs, but like I just destroyed my body in a way that I wish I had known how to train better. Right. Yeah. And, it's sort of the same idea. I mean, the players, I, I the players these days that. take care of their body better, you know? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, they know how to train. Although that said, you know, I do some, you know, some, some research for some NBA guys. And uh, the kind of stuff that I do that helps them train more efficiently as far as what they're working on, like their teams don't do that for them. And I'm always shocked that they don't, they don't have somebody doing what I do. What, what are you doing? And as a result, well, I can't tell you the uh, sauce, but, you know, but the idea being that, like, I, I know, like, for instance, I could tell somebody, you know, you don't need to worry about shooting fades to the uh, fade away. Uh, sorry, sorry, fade cuts to the right three, uh, right corner for the three. You you shot one of those all. I think I can do end. that too. Let me tell you what I would tell Melo, man. Go on a hill, yeah. sprint, jump rope, work on your lateral movement, and shoot a million spot up threes, and you'll be all right, Melo. Right. Well, <laughs> no, right, that's the point. So it's like if he's going to shoot a million spot up threes, it's not just enough to say shoot some threes. I'll tell him that you guys shoot them from the right wing and have a guy pass it to you from the left side right, you know, right. and have him do it, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's, it's much more focused specific. So you're not out there wasting jumps and cuts right. and movement yeah. of things that you'll never do in a real game. And I think that's like, when I know I grew up, I go around, I go to the gym and I'm going to shoot a thousand shots. Well, I had no idea what shots I was going to shoot. I just shot whatever. Right. And man, I, it, nowadays I'd be like, no, I'm going to shoot my in and out, left, right, pull up to the right wing off of the pick and roll. Right. Then I'm going to do my through the legs. You know what I mean? I, you'd have it like a golf, uh, your golf shots. And we didn't have that growing up and it's slowly trickling in. But even now today, like these guys, they don't necessarily have a, uh, a sense of what the shots are they get more often and where they're struggling or they're not. That's right. definitely a conversation every player should have with their coach or their team that what the offense is going to look like and where they'll be getting their shots so they can work on that specific shot. It could be so beneficial. Right. Yeah. Now, by the way, that's what the Spurs do the best, in my opinion. And so I think that's why they get guys like Danny Green, who comes in, can't even make those terrible uh, Cavaliers team. Right. But he gets the San Antonio. They're like, okay, these are the exact shots you're going to get. It's like four of them. And you're going to work on these shots, 500 shots a day. And to his credit, he's shots. a great shooter. But, you're, <laughs> but that obviously helped him. Well, but yeah, but he wasn't a great shooter in Cleveland, I guess, right? What, was he getting the opportunity? Way, that, I don't know. Uh, I mean, like, like probably yeah. not, but I don't. I, I think that they helped make him, and you know, but he's a good shooter. I mean, his his mechanics are are, are a good uh, example of anybody can shoot. No, it doesn't have to be right, perfect. Right, yeah. Man, the way he shoots is weird, but but there's there's no question that they they recognize here's a guy who's a pretty good athlete. He's got decent size. We can like we can create this out of here. We can teach him how to, you know, find these shots and, and know how to make them. And by this time, he's now he's a, he's a knockdown. Yeah. Shooter. But he also struggled, right? He's had, you know, as part of his mechanics, he's had these, these, these a whole year of being, like, very average from three and then back up again. I think that's what's going to happen to him just because of his mechanics. But, yes. So, anyway, the point being is, yeah, as we move forward into the future, more and more players, I hope, will be able to train much more in a focused way 
to develop what they are really good at or to address what they're not good at more so they can get their, their whole game elements. Nick, we could talk basketball all day, man. I appreciate you being here, but before you go, tell us where we could find you. I mean, I, 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 I watch the YouTube video, so please tell them about YouTube and then everywhere else they can find you. Sure. Well, you can, always, you, can, you can always find me if you start typing in B-Ball on YouTube. It'll autofill the B-Ball breakdown, and you can find me there. We've got thousands of videos. Uh, Twitter is always fun live during the games for the most part. Almost every night I'm tweeting out uh, little video snippets and, and, and analysis. Uh, Instagram's a, a really fun time there. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Uh, I'm launching a whole new series of uh, videos I'm going to sell uh, to coaches for how to improve. Uh, coaching their players, uh, both uh, X's and O's, offensively, defensively, and individual. So there's a lot of places to find me, but, you know, YouTube has always been the, the big gateway. Well, Nick, thanks for being here. Um, you're always welcome back on Combo Squad if you ever want to talk about basketball. For sure. Well, you know, maybe you'll come on my pod and we'll talk about yours. Definitely. That would be awesome, Nick. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate All you. Right. There it is, episode 44. Hope you enjoyed this show. Big shouts to Coach Nick. B-Bowl Breakdown for joining in. We appreciate you. Share this episode, man. Do me a favor. Share this episode. Share it with your family, your friends, coworkers, colleagues, everybody, man. Everybody. IG, Twitter, all your social media platforms. And if you listen to this episode in its entirety, leave the words air bud in the comment section of your Apple Podcast app. Appreciate you all. Episode 45 coming soon, man. Combo out.